Coming up, it could just be the automotive equivalent of blondes versus brunettes or chocolate versus strawberry. Yes. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au, the place where Australian new car buyers save thousands of their next new cars. Hit me up on the website for that. Coming to you almost live from the palatial fat cave right now, the organised chaos that is. And I thought that we'd practice the live studio setup version 2.0 today with three cameras, no less. There's the other one just there. So... Rather than just sit here and talk to myself, which is a kind of pointless exercise, we might answer a question from a guy named Ben. Ben says, I love your candid, honest opinions on some of the more dodgy practices by automotive manufacturers and dealerships. As a former owner of the three-pointed swastika, I laugh every time I hear it. And I'm sure Mercedes-Benz Senior Executive Management feels exactly the same. Every time I trot out the three-pronged swastika. Yes. Anyway, Ben goes on and says, I recently test drove the Hyundai i30N line and Kia Cerato GT hatch here in Tamworth. Now, if you don't know, Tamworth is a regional city in New South Shitsville, quite a nice place, actually, and really going ahead in a way that so many regional Australian joints, frankly, are not. So the secret sauce on commercial success for regional areas in Australia is embodied in places like Tamworth and Bathurst, and I don't know what that is, but they should clone it and roll it out because we've got a lot of Australia and too many people in the cities, frankly. Anyway... Ben goes on and says, they're both great cars. This would be the i30 N-Line, the Kia Cerato GT hatch. Uh, very hard to get a price, he says, other than the recommended retail price out of a dealer. Now, on this, okay, I'd say this asking for a price business at the dealership, it's got to stop, okay? You don't ask for a price. In fact, you don't ask for anything at a dealership. What you've got to do is tell them, okay? You've got to tell them what you want. And you've got to tell them how much you're prepared to pay. So basically, I would use the manufacturer's drive-away pricing calculator online and figure out exactly the car I want and what the drive-away price that's recommended for that car is. I'd take away 15 to 20%. And then I would pitch that offer at the dealer. 15% is pretty much a sweet spot if you're the kind of hard ass who is prepared to avoid splitting the difference. If you're not going to split the difference, 15% off here and now I'll sign on the dotted line or else I'm walking and I might see what my friends just down the street are going to say about that. So if you're prepared to do that, fantastic. But the minute you start asking at a dealership, you're kind of standing on the X and a dealer is an ambush predator and he is just happy to shoot you in the face if you stand on the X. So definitely don't do that. Know the price going in, take the 15% off, pitch the offer. And if they don't go for it, just walk out the door and see what another dealer will do for you. And that's particularly strong if you say, well, I might just go to Kia if you're at the Hyundai dealership or vice versa, because there's nothing a dealer hates more than the thought of the money that you represent walking out the door and trotting off down to another dealer. They flat out detest that. And that places you in a very strong 
bargaining position. The market here in Australia, very depressed at the moment as well. 19 months in a row, figures released earlier this week, 19 months of diminished performance, which is terrible for the car industry. They're going, oh, doom and gloom. They're all Easter Island face all over the shop. But this is great news for you. If you've got the cash, then you have never been in a better position to strike an excellent bargain at a car dealership. Now, back to Ben, okay? He says, the purpose of this purchase is to give us a second car and also for our girls, who will be 16 in March, to have a safe and practical car to learn on. And I am all for that, okay? Safe practical cars for young drivers is one of the best ways of avoiding the increase in trauma that they suffer, you know. Part of it is because of intentional risk-taking, overconfidence, peer group pressure, all of those kinds of factors. But one of the other factors that those asshole politicians never talk about is the kinds of cars that young drivers typically drive, which would be the oldest least safe shitboxes on the roads. And that's got to stop, okay? So if you're a parent, one of the ways that you can stack the deck is to make sure that your kid in his or her formative years as a driver drives off in a five-star ANCAP rated car. Because if you do that, you're doing everything you can to stack the deck in their favour if something goes wrong. And that, frankly, cannot be overstated. The other thing about New South Wales, of course, is that there is a power restriction on new cars, on P-plate cars, sorry. So if you're a P-plater, you're not allowed to drive a vehicle with a power-to-weight ratio of greater than 130 watts per kilogram, or I think they call it kilowatts per tonne, but that's frankly just the same thing, okay? 130. And that is based on the tear mass of the vehicle. I just had a look at Elantra GT and i30N line, and they're both well under that. They're at about 105. So comfortable safety margin there. Pretty good performance, great regional touring car as well. Very zippy to drive in both cases and local suspension tune. So two thumbs up on all of that for me and a great choice for young drivers as well. Now, Ben goes on and says, Here's the crux of the problem, basically. My wife is keen on the Serato GT and I'm keen on the i30. I'll be driving the car more than she will. I like the driving position and the steering wheel feel as it has a thicker wheel. I like the room inside the Serato, rear legroom and boot space, so more of that in Serato. The fact that the i30 is a little smaller is a plus, I think, for L-platers. There isn't much in it size-wise, however... All right, so let's just talk about that for a moment because I get that rather a lot from a bunch of people. They make a mountain out of a molehill when it comes to these differences in size. And I'd have to say when it comes to i30 and also its stablemate Elantra and the Serato, they might as well be twins, like dizygotic twins. They've got the same DNA down there, you know what I mean? And they're dimensionally not all that different. So I had a look at the dimensions. You know, the i30 is built on a 2,650mm wheelbase, so 2.65 metres, and the Serato is 27 
Elantris 2.7 as well. So they're essentially the same. Now, 50 millimetres is that far. Two inches if you are from Rutatistan or one of those imperial countries, about that far. And in the wheelbase, that translates to cabin space primarily, all right? So, and that would be in the rear of the car, rear legroom by about two inches because the front of the car, the front seating positions has to be optimised for actually using the controls. And the ergonomic designers in car companies typically satisfy, I think it's the 95th percentile. So that that means if you're in the top two and a half percent for height or the bottom two and a half percent for height, then unfortunately you're not going to be accommodated that well by the designers of practically every vehicle. So the top one in 40 and the bottom one in 40, you're going to find it a bit squeezy or you're going to find it, you won't be able to stretch out and reach the pedals or something because that's just the way the car industry rolls on ergonomic design. But when it comes to these cars and specifically making, you know, different decisions based on their dimensions, I'd suggest there's bugger all in it. There's a little bit more rear leg room, as Ben says, but you know, when you look at Serato, Serato is available as a sedan and also a hatch. But when you compare Serato to Elantra, you know, it's 4.64 metres of overall length for Serato. And when you look at Elantra, it's 4.62. So, you know, if you landed here from Alpha Centauri tomorrow, you would not be able to tell them apart. And when you look at the hatch variants, you know, uh, the hatch is 4.62. Uh, three, four, five meters for the i30. So 4.345. And for the Serato as a hatch, it's 4.510. So what's that? That's about 165 millimeters. And if you take away the 50 in the wheelbase, you're down to 115 millimeters, which is about that far. It's four and a half inches in the old money hatch versus hatch. Obviously, the sedan is a little bit longer if you want a sedan, but then you're not comparing apples and apples, okay? So 115 millimetres, four and a half inches. It's not worth anything unless there's a critical component that you can get in the back of one vehicle and not the other one. You know, if you've got the favourite set of golf clubs or, you know, a bike that you want to pull the front wheel off and just jam it in the back and maybe it fits in one vehicle and it doesn't fit in the other one because of that four and a half critical inches, that's a salient differentiator in that case. But if you're just weighing it up and going, well, that one's a bit bigger and that one's not, then I'd suggest that this is not the way to choose between these vehicles. Anyway, Ben goes on and he says, I was concerned about the probability of Hyundai extending their seven-year warranty beyond this year as I may not purchase until early 2020. Are there any rumblings in the industry about whether Hyundai will continue this? Well, I haven't heard anything from Hyundai about whether the seven-year warranty will be extended or not. And part of that is because if they let the cat out of the bag and they say, well, we're going to let that happen continuously from the 1st of January, it'll just be seven years from now on, then that's going to de-incentivize a purchaser right now. So in a sense, Ben is a bit of a lab rat for this and he's being nudged towards the Hyundai uh, because of the time sensitivity or the notional time sensitivity of the seven-year warranty. 
So that's a factor. I don't know if they're going to continue it or not. Ben says, I don't expect a straight story from the dealer as they want to sell the car now. Yeah, dealers want to sell you a car in stock right now, today. You know, sign here, pay a deposit. They don't care what it is, whether it's right for you. Just they want to take your money and stitch you up, okay? But I'd suggest car makers are only one step removed from that. And this seven-year warranty offer from Hyundai is something that they want to capitalise on right now. So if it does uh, extend beyond the 1st of January, then you'll find out on like the 1st of January or in between Christmas and New Year or something, they're not going to let the cat out of the bag now. What I would say about that, however, is that it is a little bit irrelevant to uh, many buyers anyway, because Australian consumer law, you've got warranty here, right? Warranty's there. Australian consumer law is kind of up here above warranty. And warranty cannot sort of negotiate away or contractually uh, get rid of terms and conditions that are legislated in consumer law. They're up here in principle. We've got the acceptable quality guarantee, which says, you know, the cars have to be reasonably durable and they have to be reliable and they have to do all the things that it claims in the manual and blah, blah, blah. So the acceptable quality guarantee exists regardless of the warranty duration. So the warranty more and more as the ACCC gets uh, its balls further towards dropping, you know, every week we see another example of testicular descent by the ACCC and their growth of teeth. And, you know, within six months or 12 months, who knows, they might be fully functional down there and in the mouth as well. They might be biting bad behavior in the car industry, you know, as, as they are supposed to do. So that'd be lovely. But the legislation already protects you better than the warranty, all right? So warranty is more a marketing statement than it is a statement about consumer protection because if you've got a three-year warranty from, I don't know, three-point swastika or you've got a five-year warranty next year from Hyundai if they revert back to that, then if you have a problem and the vehicle has not met the reasonable durability or acceptable quality sort of provisions of the legislation, then you still are standing standing on a solid foundation to get that resolved, regardless of the warranty status of your vehicle. So that's important to realise when you're shopping for any car, five-year warranty, seven-year warranty, three-year warranty, consumer law is still up here. And if the ACCC actually does grow a pair and start prosecuting bad behaviour, then that's really good for us. Now, Ben goes on and he says, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both vehicles. If you have the time, please, thanking you in advance for assistance. Well, I'd say there's a couple of other salient differentiators between i30 and Serato. For starters, there's no manual transmission available in Serato GT. So there's that. If you'd like to train your children up on driving a manual, which is a good skill to have, even though the manual transmission is certainly on the way out, hey, there's 12 million vehicles on Australian roads and a proportion of those are manuals. And if the chips are ever down for you in regional wherever and you suddenly have to drive a manual car and you've never been in one before, then I'd suggest that's bad. It's a good skill to have. And certainly if you want to drive anything in the commercial or light commercial domains, then, you know, manual's a good skill to have. So there's that. There's also no sedan version of the i30, but you can buy an Elantra. 
I'd also be thinking in terms of the proximity to different dealerships and I'd ask around because Hyundai and Kia are completely separate operations in Australia. They regard each other as competitors, even though upstream the vehicles share, you know, the same DNA. So I'd ask around, particularly in a regional place where it might be, I don't know, maybe it's an hour to the closest Hyundai or Kia dealer outside Tamworth. So I'd ask around with people you know, your colleagues, your friends, whatever, and I'd ask them what sort of deal they've got out of the Hyundai dealer locally and the Kia dealer locally and see, and I don't just mean monetarily, I mean if there's a problem, which one is fixing those problems better because... Even though Hyundai and Kia are, in my view and my experience, based on the you know the feedback I get from you guys, uh, when there's a problem, they jump on it, both of them, and there's frankly not that many problems with their vehicles. They're both big sellers at the moment as well. Hyundai, I think for last month, was number two, and Kia is somewhere in the middle of the top five. So, you know, they're selling serious volumes of cars. That means the dealers are profitable. They're shifting a lot of metal. That means they can invest in you know, technical training and things of that nature. They can uh, they can maintain a reasonable inventory of spare parts in, uh, on the shelf, at least at the warehouse at head office. So that's good as well. You're unlikely to be waiting months and months and months for spare parts, which frankly is not the case with any of these uh, brands that are struggling at the moment, like Citroen or Peugeot or one of those brands that just doesn't sell very much volume. There's not going to be much investment by the dealer in technical training and not very much investment in terms of local spare parts inventory. And that can see you waiting months and months and months for spare parts from, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, which is a disadvantage, I'd suggest, particularly in regional New South Wales. So, Find out which one of those dealers is doing a better job because even though at head office they're both committed to doing a great job, I'd suggest that individual dealers vary widely in their capacity to provide reasonable support, right? So do your investigation based on that and then walk into the dealer of choice and say, I'll give you this right now. And if they go, no, nah, mate, not prepared to do that. You might have to go back and have a look at whether or not your offer is reasonable. You could also go to the other dealership and present a similar offer because let's face it, those vehicles will be apples for apples, very similarly priced. Hit the other dealer up, the competitor with the same offer and then see if they bend. Now, what you've got to watch out for here is you make an offer and they're likely to say no up front and then the ball is back in your court and what the dealer is expecting you to do is bend over and just cop it and negotiate, you know, split the difference. You might say 25 or in the case of that car, you might say 32 is, you know, my wife will cut off my wedding vegetables if I go one cent <laughs> over 32 and nobody wants that, okay? It's always good if your wife's not there, if you're going to play that particular card. It's an excellent one to play because she, you know, she owns the limits. She's not available and you both want the same thing. He wants to sell you the car. You want to buy it, but there's a third party holding your limit. Your wife, your boyfriend, your mother, your father, whatever, King Farouk, doesn't matter. Someone else is holding the limit. But they're expecting you to negotiate up and start splitting the difference and instead what I'd, what I'd strongly suggest you do is just go, 
well, I'm sorry, that's my final offer. Here's my telephone number. Should you reconsider? I'm going to go down the road to, I don't know, Hyundai or Kia, whichever the alternative is, and see what sort of deal they can give me. Until I sign on the dotted line for an alternative car, I'm still interested in this one. Give me a call if you change your mind. This is the strongest possible card that you can play if you want to be a heavy-duty negotiator in this situation. Then just politely shake hands, thank them for their time, walk out the door, and you've been a proper, polite, negotiating bastard. Yes! Whereas when it comes to you actually making some sort of objective decision between Serato GT or i30 N-Line, I really don't think there is one. You know, the objective differences are like this small and personal preference, you know, subjective factors is going to be the main player here, as long as you can get the dealer across the line on the price. So realistically, I'd just be figuring out which one I like the most. I'd go to that dealer, I'd pitch that low price and I'd see if they buy it or not. And then if they don't, I'd just whip over there and hit them with plan B. I'd like to thank you for tolerating my quasi live stream. I'm just playing with the bits and trying to get it all working. I hope you've enjoyed this. This is a way for me to answer more questions from you and pump out more content more quickly, which hopefully is what we both want here. Thank you very much for watching. 